Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're in our 14th episode of 2021. You know, last week, the White House invited me to a Zoom call to discuss President Biden's The American Jobs Plan, which includes $100 billion to connect every American to fiber broadband over the next eight years. The president's approach is to invest in a future-proof critical infrastructure that will deliver long-term benefits. You know, we've seen firsthand the significant positive impact that fiber has on, in the communities where deployed. Not only does fiber deliver limitless broadband speeds, but new jobs, economic development, smart grid modernization, public safety, and a path for future services such as 5G. You know, the president's plan prioritizes support for broadband networks owned, operated, or affiliated with local governments, nonprofits, and cooperatives. You know, providers with less pressure to turn profits with a commitment to serving the entire community. We believe this also includes incumbent providers that are very community-based. The plan also seeks to address broadband adoption by reducing the cost of the internet service long-term. You know, it pains me to see so much precious stimulus money going to subsidize ridiculously expensive, poor-performing broadband service such as satellite in rural areas. Our nation is absolutely better served by ensuring that fiber is deployed to all communities and we apply those funds towards subsidizing low-cost, high-performance gigabit services. You know, we still have a long way to go before the president's the American Jobs Plan becomes a reality. But I believe the investment in broadband will have a multi-generational positive impact for all Americans, and the Fiber Broadband Association will work tirelessly towards helping the administration gain bipartisan support for the, this broadband proposal and this plan. So speaking of the need for bandwidth, that brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session. We'll be discussing the impact of video streaming on broadband networks. But before I formally introduce our guests, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers from our team, who'll walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us this morning. I'm gonna quickly go over a few logistical items. If you would all please keep in mind that everyone is in listen mode only. To ask a question, you can type it into the question box located within your control panel. We'll host a Q&A session toward the end and try and answer as many questions as we possibly can. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members on FBA's website within 24 hours. If you're not a member, uh, please let us know and we can connect you with that. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. Uh, please take a minute and do that. We do appreciate your input. I'll pass it back to Gary now to introduce our panelists and get us started. Thanks, Trish. You know, today's topic is why I love Wednesdays. You know, this is always fun for me and I always look forward to today. And today we are uh, meeting with one of our premier members and network operator, Misty, Mr. Jimmy Todd from Nextex in the heartland of Lenoria, Kansas. You know, Jimmy Todd is the CEO and general manage, 
manager for Nextex, based in Lenoria, Kansas. Nextex was the first company to bring fiber-to-home technology to the entire telecom exchange. And today, its broadband service area covers approximately 10,000 square miles across the Northwest and through central Kansas. Nextex also offers managed IT services and network monitoring tools and services across the U.S., as well as internationally. Jimmy's been active for many years in the advocacy for fiber broadband at the state and national levels, working with organizations such as WTA, NTCA, and NRTC on a variety of issues. So welcome, Jimmy. You know, I look forward to, you know, I know that you have a lot of firsthand experience with streaming video over your network, and I really look forward to learning from your insights on this issue. You know, for our audience, you know, please type your questions in and uh, we'll have Q&A at the conclusion. So with that, over to you, Jimmy. All right, thank you. So um, appreciate it, Gary. I, um, the opportunity to share a concern that impacts uh, rural broadband networks, um, especially in, in high cost areas. Um, we've, I've been working with a group of, uh, a small group of peers over three years to help grow awareness and support for having the, the biggest impactors on our, our networks begin to help cover the, the costs they're causing us to bear. Um, you know, while this is a, a holistic issue, I'm gonna start to paint the picture for what we're seeing by starting with just a, an introduction of my company. As, as Gary said, we, you know, we uh, are a fiber-based company. Uh, we cover about 10,000 square miles. And, and uh, over the years, we've, diversified our services. You know, this shows, you know, the services that we offer and then, you know, the voice and, and local long distance, you know, those were where we kind of started, but we've diversified. A lot of the services we offer today are providing services to support other service providers. Our customers that are service providers are in 48 of the 50 states, a um, couple of the Canadian uh, provinces, We've also got customers in Alaska, Hawaii, uh, the, the Pacific, and the Caribbean. So we're in contact with service providers across the country and internationally. We're all seeing very similar network behavior. So this is some data that's more specific to, to my company, Nextex uh, Broadband Customers. Um, you know, we have about 27,000 uh, broadband customers now. Um, across that 10,000 square miles that, that Gary mentioned earlier. Um, so you, you can imagine the, the density is not huge. We, are in a, we provide services in, in a high cost uh, rural area. This bar graph shows how our customers have adopted higher speeds with their broadband plans over recent years. And, you know, through this time, we've, we've seen a, a modest growth of 7% since 2015. But you can see how, you know, the, the green, which is lower speed um, connectivity, has really been replaced with the purple, which is the higher speed. You know, so consumer demand has, has changed over the recent years. This, this particular graph um, shows the amount of data that transits our network in a month. So, you know, if you look back to, to 2016, in December, we had about four petabytes of data go across our network, downloaded across our network. Fast forward to December of 2020, it grew three and a half times. It was almost 14 uh, 
petabytes um, downstream on our network. Uh, we've seen similar growth on on the uploads, um, but you know when you look at the amount of data, you're you're seeing consistent growth. And in and in this time frame, 2016 to 2020, the the customer base only grew six percent. So this graph shows uh, peak usage on our network. So whereas the others showed total uh, capacity going across in a month, this is showing how the peaks have changed. So if you look in 2016, again, we were using December, um, we saw uh, 24 gigabit uh, was, was the peak. Fast forward to December of 2020, and we're seeing 77 gigabits um, per second as, as the peak, three and a quarter times the peak data that we saw from 2016. So when we were looking at projections um, on our network in 2016, uh, we realized that our, our 10 gig core network, which, you know, 10,000 square miles, we connect, you know, multiple telecom exchanges, which is the way we were originally set up, which are now nodes on our core data network. And we had 10 gig connectivity throughout, you know, the entire core. And we had, you know, uh, duplicate routes to allow for for bandwidth you know as we needed but it was obvious that um, this network had to increase because of what we were seeing with the the, the growth on our network um, so we we started a three-year multi-million dollar project in 2017 and uh, at you know the end of the year we we started implementing uh, new equipment on the core network to transition from 10 gig to 100 gig. Finish that up and, you know, here we are uh, a, a year later. And unfortunately, you know, we're already anticipating that the next phase of upgrades are probably only about three years away. So in, in less than five years of upgrading that network by a factor of 10 times, we're, we're looking at having to start planning for that next upgrade. So, you know, as I mentioned, um, for for several years now, we've been working with a, a group of like-minded friends that that saw this concern, and we wanted to, you know, um, share that this is something that we're all going to be facing and will continue to face, and it's the impact of streaming video on our networks. The, the next four slides come directly from a, a two-page handout that we started recently um, using with members of Congress and their staff to, to try and help paint the picture of the concern. Um, this was crafted by Dr. Rosalind Layton. She's been uh, working with us um, on some white papers, some articles in various magazines, um, and, and she's really become an advocate for this concern. She had been involved in a lot of other technology papers prior. And as we connected with her and, and she, she got involved, um, we've, we've had a whole lot more exposure outside of just, you know, um, our associations and, and, and the staff uh, that we've met with in, in Congress. Um, as, as you can see from this first little diagram, you know, you can see, you know, the, the up in the cloud, you've got the Netflix and the YouTubes and the Hulus and Disney's, and you see little houses over there to the side. You can see how those little dollars are following a green dotted line to those streaming companies. 
Well, if you follow that cloud, that there's a, a black dotted line that goes from those uh, content providers to network elements that reach those homes. And you see dollar signs in there. Well, those little dollar signs are, are areas where we have to either pay to create a connection or we have to invest in a network to upgrade, maintain, or, or operate. So when you know we analyzed uh, data from from our our, our small group of, of uh, providers, and you know we were seeing that 75% of the data going across our network was from from streaming companies that are extremely profitable. Yet the cost of the delivery of their content, as well as upgrade of that network, um, allowing that delivery uh, is borne by the, the service providers. And, you know, we're all in high cost areas. So, you know, the concern was, was that, you know, that is, is a future challenge that we're going to continue to face. But it doesn't make sense that they're delivering, you know, their product over the, our network causing us to, you know, provide um, continually update and um, uh, enhance the network so that their services are provided. Can you, I mean, I, I can't think of another network that functions that way in a, and is efficient. Um, and not only is it 75% of our traffic, but it's growing at an exponential rate. And, and you know, the question that we get asked is, well, why? And, and there's a couple of reasons, you know, higher quality content and adaptive rate technology um, are, are two of the primary reasons. So, you know, as we make investments in our network to have a better connection to that home, that premise, um, the, the better the quality of the network, the, the better the um, content they can push across it to their customers. And through rate adaptive, uh, technology, they make this adjustment without needing any manual intervention. Have you ever gone to Netflix or something like that and it's kind of fuzzy and then it clears up and then the, the picture is really good? Well, that's exactly what's happening. It's determining the best um, 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 package of content to send across that network connecting to that customer. So, for every investment we make to increase the capacity on their network, then the you know streaming services are using more of that available capacity automatically. So you know as the streaming services use a, a greater percentage of the capacity, the concern is that if you aren't uh, staying ahead of that, then that can negatively impact other uh, traffic going across a broadband or an IP network. Generally, people believe that, you know, once you get to 85% capacity on an IP network, you will start to see performance issues with the flow of that data. So, you know, if you're, you know, doing your job as a service provider, you're trying to stay ahead of that, which again, requires in investments into your network. I, I talked earlier about, you know, um, the project to increase capacity on our core network. And, and um, you know, based on this and, and uh, investments made by other broadband providers 
And considering revenues for the streaming services uh, using our network, we were able to kind of quantify um, that for every dollar earned by the big streaming companies, we were investing 48 cents into the network they were using. You know, USF was, was something that helped us build telecommunications networks in high cost rural areas, but it was never designed to accommodate these kind of network upgrades. Um, they weren't, you know, thinking about the middle mile network, uh, the costs, you know, associated with the growth of exponential growth in streaming services. And, you know, so it was, it was not meant for, for this, um, you know, back, back in 96, the internet was pretty new. And so they didn't think about what it looked like today. So, you know, when you're looking at, you know, service providers and they have a finite amount of capital, they're either going to have to upgrade network or, I mean, well, they could, they could reach new customers by upgrading, you know, reaching unserved or underserved customers, or they have to upgrade their network. And, and that's the situation we as high co you know, as, as operators in high cost areas get into a balancing act, you know, making sure that we're trying to continue to reach customers, but at the same time, you know, making sure our network is, is staying ahead of that demand that's going to be continued to be placed on it. The, the next four slides come from, uh, come directly from a U.S. telecom uh, broadband brief uh, titled Streaming Upstream, Deploying Rural Broadband in the Age of Streaming. And, and in these slides, you can see that USTA uh, came to the same conclusion that we found when looking at the, the rate of growth and the reason for the increase. Um, U.S. Telecom notes that uh, subscriptions to streaming services over the past four years have, have increased uh, 60%. That's pr pretty significant. Uh, next slide. They also found that 50 to 75% of the network capacity was, was streaming video. So very similar to, to what our analysis just within our small group of, of uh, folks working on this issue, they are seeing it at a much bigger uh, group level. Um, they also are seeing the same growth trajectory uh, for future data capacity on these broadband networks. And, and you can see on here, there's, there's a quote, it says, low population density coupled with the need to constantly upgrade equipment makes deployment in rural areas extremely expensive. And I think anybody that provides services in a, a rural area, um, I, I completely understand that. The, the graph at the bottom left is, you know, another one of the bar charts. And, and it shows how subscriber density impacts the cost to provide services. You know, if you look to, you know, the, the, the smallest bar, it shows 100 locations per mile. Well, in urban areas, you can have a lot more than 100 locations per mile. But as you get further away from a city center, the fewer locations you have, which is indicated by that bar graph, you know, showing um, as it gets to, to say one subscriber per mile, um, the the cost the, to to provide service is is considerably higher. You know, I 
I serve a, an area where, you know, geographically, most of my service area is about one and a half uh, customers per mile, and that's per square mile. And, and so, you know, what we see there, as opposed to a, a couple of uh, uh, cities that are a little bit bigger that we've built into, is that the cost per customer is extremely higher in, in these rural areas. We're going to talk a little bit about some some legislation that we've been involved in. In the last Congress, um, HR 2929, the Rural Broadband Network Advancement Act, was introduced, and it immediately helped increase awareness of the concern we've been talking about. And one of the ways that you know we would share this um, concern and 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 what we have seen with some of the members of Congress is, you know, we talk about you know, how Netflix started. They would mail a DVD to you in the mail. They pay the postage. They send you a postage paid, you know, envelope. And once you finish watching the movie, you'd send it back. They were paying the postage. They were covering the delivery. They're, they're smart business folks. And, and I have nothing against Netflix or any of the streaming media folks at all. Uh, we've actually sat down and met with a lot of the folks that, that are, our cost causers and talked about this, but they saw a way to deliver their product to a bigger audience for no no cost um, to to reach most of their customers. So, you know what we've in in the RBNA the focus was implementing um, a a network user fee for edge providers that would help cover costs for upgrading and maintaining networks, broadband networks in high cost rural areas. Um, as we had more discussions, you know, throughout the last Congress, the, the question of getting more data than just our, our small group. Um, and, and so the idea of an FCC study uh, became very important to a lot of folks. This Congress, um, as, as you know, in January, we started the new Congress. Um, H.R. 1650 was was introduced early, and it requires a, an FCC study on network traffic in high-cost rural areas. And, and the goal here is to continue to provide data and show, you know, the cost causers and, and how that affects the, the rural networks. Because the last thing we want as service providers is to have something affect our network that impacts telehealth, telemedicine, um, you know, remote learning, uh, business transactions and things like that. So, you know, these uh, pieces of legislation are, are helping us to uh, build a little momentum um, with this effort. So just wanted the opportunity to kind of share this with the group. If there are any, um, is there, you know, information on the bills or some of the articles or white papers, feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to get them to you. And Gary, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Jimmy. And let me, uh, we've got tons of questions that popped in here, but uh, let me just start with, do you offer IPTV at all? And what is your um, experience with IPTV as far as, you know, the, the feedback I get from other providers is that, you know, ESPN and Disney, these things go up almost monthly, and but you can't go and ch change the rates to your subscriber on that kind of basis. And so it becomes, a lost leader for them. Is that the experience you're having? Or? It, it is challenging. IPTV is 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 an expensive service to offer. And but 
quite honestly, over the past few years, as you've seen more and more streaming services, you've seen more people cut the cord for for uh, television service. Um, and part of that is because of the content, you know, what the the content providers are requiring you to charge for that um, service um, is, is making it so that folks are are getting away from more and more getting away from linear television um, and, and transitioning to the IP uh, streaming video where they can kind of pick and choose. And, and we've been saying for years, you know, customers want to be able to choose what they want to watch. And unfortunately, we've had to bundle so much and the cost of providing that service is high. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've consistently heard from rural operators is that the, the cost of IP um, of offering those channel lineups goes up uncontrollably while, you know, your ability to pass that cost along to subscribers is very limited. Um, the other thing that I hear is that the help desk, 90% of your help desk calls are from IP. <laughs> is that similar to your experience? If I will tell you, if anything happens with somebody's television, that is the quickest call. Their phone could be out four days and they don't recognize it anymore. Not that not that many people have as many landlines as they did in the past, but um, you know, uh, TV is the first thing they'll call on if there's a blip, and internet's the second. And that and so what I hear from rural operators is the quickest way to reduce cost is to go over the top, you know, compared to IPTV. You know, um, yes and no. There's a revenue aspect and, and a cost aspect to that. So I think balancing that and, and everybody has to kind of look at their operation to see how that fits most properly. But I have known a lot of uh, peers that have transitioned away from providing video as a service. We have not made that that step yet. And I remember, you know, right the early days, uh, Reed Hastings, when they went to from mailing uh, DVDs to, um, you know, being able to leverage the internet. Uh, I remember Val and they of CTO of CenturyLink at the time saying that he would be gladly pay for all the postage to get, um, you know, Netflix office network. But uh, <laughs> yep. I know others have felt your pain. Um, so one of the questions came in is, uh, you know, if you're all offering, are you offering an over-the-top video platform to your customers? And if we you actually are, do. We do. Um, we have a um, IPTV service as well as a, a streaming service um, that, quite honestly, we can offer at a little bit lower cost. And then uh, one of the questions came in. I know that uh, Next Tech invested millions in video hardware, software, and middleware over the years to provide video services. How has streaming affected your subscribership? It has gone down uh, considerably. Um, we have, uh, we have probably lost a third of our video subscribers over the years. Yeah, but you've retained them as broadband subscribers, correct? Correct, yep. We used to think that there was a very tight connection uh, between losing a video subscriber and losing a broadband subscriber. And and what we've learned in the past five years is that not that's not necessarily the case. If you've got really good broadband, they're gonna stay with that. Um, and even if they choose another outlet for, for video service. All right, I got a series of technical questions from uh, one of our um, attendees. So what percentage of your plant is fiber uh, coaxial cable? We uh, do not have coax in our network. Um, it's it's uh, fiber to the prim 
Um, there's a few customers that are still on copper that over the next couple of years will be cut over to fiber. So our goal is in the next four, three and a half years to be 100% fiber to the prim across that entire footprint that we serve. And we do have some fixed wireless customers that we reach outside of our um, traditional footprint. And then the following question was, what is your penetration rate on a typical node? Um, could you ask that again? What is your penetration rate on a typical node? And then the well, follow-up to that is how many customer devices do you budget for service area node? Okay, so with us and in, in majority of our fiber um, um, network, it's active ethernet. So we have a direct fiber connection to the home. So it's not a, um, a pond or a node system. Um, we are looking at uh, transitioning to uh, pond. Well, okay, I take that back. We do have a couple of old communities, some of our earliest communities that are pond, um, but we've transitioned away from that probably uh, 10 years ago and went strictly with active. And as we're transitioning into a couple of new communities that we're starting to build, we are looking at XGS pond. So, uh, that is to be determined. Yeah, well, that's going to give you, you know, 10 gig symmetric. So I'll, I'll, we're kind of out of time. So I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to, there's a lot of questions. So maybe you can follow up with these afterwards, Jimmy. But the sure. one I wanted to leave you with is, you know, someone asked, um, how can we help get Congress or FCC interested in the issues you brought up? Um, share with them uh, um, HR 1650. Uh, we hope to have uh, HR 2929 reintroduced, and once that comes out, uh, help help folks understand that you know this is a partnership. If you're a streaming video provider and you want to continue to reach your customers, help us help you. You know by helping cover some of those costs. Well, Jimmy, just thank you so much. You know I always enjoy spending time with you, and you know learning from your insights on the network. So thanks again. You know, next week. We're actually going to be going into the home and speaking with Tyson Merriam, the Chief Commercial Officer of Plume, on why data provides the key to winning on customer experience. So you won't want to miss that. So thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to getting back with you next Wednesday for Fiber for Breakfast.